why don't we start at the beginning before we get into the beginning like so we were just talking about what is brontide why are we doing this do we care and as a reminder for we're on like what episode three four something like that now brontide is a sound like that of distant thunder some of which may have seismic origins right and so we, what we were saying is that the the idea is that there are things that we have some awareness of but they feel in some way uh out of reach or that we don't quite understand the origin uh and the 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 idea of something having a seismic origin it's like the analogy or metaphor is the 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 tectonic plates coming together right or like tectonic shifts which are massive in scale they have significant implications right so if we're talking about the tectonic shifts in uh human civilization society culture etc we're talking about the things that we have a sense of that are shaping human experience right um and so why do we care like why do we care about those things that's the beginning of the beginning so the beginning now is why do we care what is it about how did we get here how did we get to this place of this conversation I don't know like do you like is it a maybe go we could take a narrative approach what do you think I think that's brilliant I like this I like this a lot like we were just talking about this like being an actual like participating in evolution participating in the kind of mm -hmm. evolution of uh life and being a, like an actual agent of that rather than yeah we were watching like, a like, Schmachtenberger video on emergence and he was defining emergence as you know, there's one thing operating as a whole, and it has certain yep. skills, ability, traits, and something else operating. And then synergy and relationship allow for something new, an, an emergent property to show itself that wasn't possible previously. Dan, you're referencing, sorry to interrupt you, just yeah. a quick note, Daniel Schmachtenberger, the social philosopher who we all appreciate and if you've not listened to any of his work, just Google him or search for him on podcasts and just start listening. And, and you're, if if you're listening to this, you'll appreciate Daniel, right? Shout out to Daniel Schmachtenberger. Okay, keep going. Yeah, shout out to the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, thank you for that, Joel. So it's there's some sense, I think, that we share, and I'm curious to hear your two perspectives, that... There's some emergent properties about the ways that humans collaborate and relate to one another and operate within this world that are like almost like direly needed in order to navigate this tectonic, this bronti, this tectonic shift into a fundamentally different way of operating. Because the only thing we know at this moment is that if on a linear scale, we just keep pushing towards maximum growth, that also is maximum resource extraction, maximum po planet population, all these things, then what are some of the statistics like? So 
there's an estimate that we have like 60 growing seasons, like 60 farming seasons left if the soil continues to degrade at the level. Like wow. in all these different areas, there's like actually like a very finite timeline that would transpire within or very close to our like anticipated lifetimes. Like the way things are being done is like, is finite and that finite end is like sooner than it's ever been. Yeah, there's a really interesting balance between uh, like there is a really uh, deep sense of urgency right now with like all the, the ways that we're reaching these planetary boundaries and the way that things like, you know, these statistics, like the one that Tina just mentioned of uh, thing we don't have a lot, actually like a lot of time if we're continuing the way that we are uh, continuing to run our systems and operate as humans. Uh, so there's like a deep sense of urgency. Like we actually have to become really aware of this. And actually if this whole thing, if this whole human experiment on earth is going to work, um, we have to become aware and have to understand ourselves as agents of creating a better future because we don't create, there's not really a choice. Like we get to create a better future that actually works or we don't like if we don't, then there's still this whole thing just, uh, you know, self self terminates and eliminates itself. Um, and there's a, the, the really interesting balance is bringing we we at the same time we can't bring that super kind of frantic urgent energy into our solutions and into the way that we're dealing with these things because if that that frantic kind of super urgent energy like that doesn't bring that that's actually not where great ideas come from is that like super like oh my god oh my god this whole feels thing. like you're describing like fear energy fear energy absolutely so there's a really uh interesting kind of paradox that i think about when i think about um, the kind of state that the world is in right now of like, we have to simultaneously recognize the urgency and have that drive us and also not have uh, that energy be infused into the solutions and the conversations and the ways that we're talking about um, how we're going to move forward and have that fear energy because uh, great stuff doesn't come from uh, being rooted in a bunch of fear energy. Mm. Um, and so that's a that's a really interesting How can we be like paradox use, and balance. Usefully, usefully alarmed. Yes. But stay stay grounded in like the truth that each one of us like only has our unique gifts to share. Yeah. Like we can no longer afford people to not share their unique gifts. But at the same time, like we also there's no such thing as like one person's going to put the world on the back and save the world. And I think that actually yeah. stops a lot of people from doing what they can do because it's like the size of the thought, I'm the one who has to save the world that ends up crippling people. Yes. I think about uh, Ken Wilber's term, uh, holons, or a holon is something that is a part and a whole simultaneously. So everything in reality is a holon. A cell is both a whole and it's also a cell as part of your body. Mm -hmm. um, and we, what we are as humans is we're holons. We're a part of this whole evolutionary process and we're uh we are the evolutionary process the evolutionary process created us as a human your life right now was created by the evolutionary process so really understanding ourselves as holons that are actually participating in the the evolutionary process of life i think is a really great way to kind of uh strike some of that balance of um, you know, evolution, evolution does have a sense of urgency. Evolution is trying to better itself. Evolution is trying to uh, create emergent properties and transcend what came before it. But evolution doesn't have this like kind of frantic, like 
uh, fear, fear-based energy. So the more that we as humans can understand ourselves as these holons that are agents of this evolutionary process and agents of change, um, I think we, we start to understand ourselves more as this process of more as this process of becoming, we're constantly trying to strive to participate and create a better world because that's a natural part of the evolutionary process. And that's actually like who we are fundamentally. Yeah. I love that. I mean, okay. So this is where there's like 27 things that I want to respond to, but I'm going to pick one. I mean, I, I love the word hold on. And I had not remembered that word. I forgot about that word. Um, I've been using the word Mui, M-W-E, a lot to talk about uh, ethics specifically, that we need a Mui ethic, right? Like an ethic that a, a, that uh, accounts for the me and the we, right? Mm. Uh, but anyways, the, what I hear you saying is that there is a innate desire on both your parts to participate in the emergent unfolding of the future and that there's a belief that your participation in the unfolding can be a force for uh, good, however you want to define that. Um, and so that you have a you have a participatory role in cultivating particular conditions from which a good world can emerge. Is that a fair assumption? Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that an animating, like, is that an animating belief for both? I mean, is that why you're doing the work that you do and, and, and why you're here? Or does it, is there something deeper than that? Or, or, I mean, not to say that that's not extremely deep, uh, but if you had to distill that, like, what's the, the, that, the animating spirit that leads you to the work that you do and and these kinds of conversations and your interest in this domain of you know what call it a dialectic or or conversation or whatever. You want that? Yes. Um like it's like it feels like it's both deeper than that and as deep as it can go at the exact same mm -hmm. time. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. Um because for one, reading about this kind of stuff, talking about this kind of stuff, and then figuring out how to distill it and share it in a way that's useful to others who aren't as naturally inclined to want to spend all of their time like reading and watching a lot of Daniel Schmachtenberger on YouTube or listening to podcasts <laughs> and reading Ken Wilber and finding our way to different spiritual teachers and philosophers and all sorts of things like that, the like all systems go lit upness mm. that is in that kind of engaging in that kind of reality on a day-to-day -day basis for me is the best pointer that I have to, oh, this is part of my unique gift that I can give the world. Like, I'm not particularly musically inclined or um, I'm not like a maker of furniture or pottery or something like my, my making 
is in maybe to some degree curating or synthesizing ideas in some way or 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 bringing some things that philosophers like to talk about on a really wide level maybe making it a little bit more tangible for people's or practical for people's daily lives and um and so it's like this is the this is the gift that I have to give and along with it comes you know the desire to to listen to people's stories and to hold space for them and and all sorts of things but it's like there's a all of it feels like it points back to like if life on earth is going to continue it needs to be lived differently and the biggest gift that I can give is living differently and then what's naturally emerged from that living differently is wanting to share ways to live and engage differently I love that yeah light light is creativity I mean everything when we look around everything is creativity no matter where what belief you have about how the universe started whether it was um you know you have it was the big bang or it was uh, some spiritual force it was god um it's all it's all an act of creativity in some way and the fact that we get to we have this unique life experience no one else has had our exact same life experience and in this life we get to create something that has never been created we get to give the universe something so unique that the universe has never experienced it there's a certain aliveness in participating in evolution in that way of sharing your unique gifts and talents and voice uh, in a way that has never actually been seen before. Um, there's a specialness and a uniqueness that can't really fully be articulated with words, it feels like. Um, and that that feels like such a gift that, um, that feels like such a gift of life that to not actualize that feels like it would be, um, yeah, it feels like it would be missing out on something super, super special and important. Mm -hmm. What's your answer to the to your your question, Joel? Like, what what is this for you? I think that I I spent um, a, a few years going through a fairly dark uh season of life in which i was uh essentially um dismantling all of the scaffolding that had been built around me as the the artifice of my identity right mm -hmm. or the edifice of my identity and it was built by other people predominantly, or it was inherited through family tradition, culture, heritage, et cetera. And so when that scaffolding fell apart and it was just me determining who I was without anyone else saying or, or making that decision for me, um, I had to figure out a, like, ultimately what it came down to is like, does meaning exist? Uh, and I don't think we need to get into that, like the answer to that question today, but, um, I kind of arrived at a bit of an absurdist position in that, um, meaning is 
an emergent phenomenon. Um, but it's not a uh, a given. Um, and that it serves it serves life uh, in uh, specifically human life in a very, very like pragmatic way, right? Um, neurologically, physiologically, in terms of reproduction, in terms of you know habitat equilibrium, in terms of um, you know uh, survival from uh, or protection from physical threat. Like there's all sorts of things that you know we're we are a a story uh, narrative based species animal, so to speak. And so stories are just containers for meaning. Um, anyways, long story short without getting too far into that. For me, what it comes down to is um, even if love is just a chemical reaction at a physiological level in my body, even if that's all it is, and the emotional connection that that's, that, that chemical reaction invokes in me physically is just materialistic at a pure base level um that that's enough mm-hmm. and i think that uh there's uh that that being enough was actually a huge relief for me right mm-hmm. uh, uh because you didn't have to go find you didn't have to go find meaning i didn't have to go find something concrete and externalized and all this other stuff and these are not, you know, none of these questions are new and I'm barely scratching the surface in terms of the depth that people, thinkers throughout the the millennia have, you know, probed these questions. Many, many have gone really deep on these, but for me, it was just like, yeah, that, that's enough. That's, that's all I need. Um, and so for me, it's love at the end of the day that, that when I look at emergence and when I look at, um, you know, whether it's the completely materialistic kind of neurological, you know, uh, sequencing of synapses and et cetera, et cetera, or it's, you know, uh, planetary scale ecologies of animals and plants and, and fungi and bacteria and other things. Um, all at the end of the day, it all comes back down to like the, uh, uh, the reason all of this is, uh, can be to me summarized up in, in, in love, um, mm. that it's the, like, even at an epistemological level, like, I think we've talked about this, that, you know, it was Einstein's love for the universal governing laws of the universe that led him to that encounter with reality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, uh, Leonardo's or rather Da Vinci's, um, or the same person, <laughs> uh, Da Vinci's love of, you know, art and science and the mechanics of, of the world and, you know, that led him to the uh, engineering breakthroughs that he made, uh, as well as the brilliant art um and all of that right like 
so I think I think that if you if you kind of boil it down, you come back down to like, well, why why does that great piece of art exist, or why did that great breakthrough or technological discovery happen, or why did it's because there was a there was a posture in my mind that someone assumed, um, and that posture was a, a, typically a posture of love toward the yet to be known or the yet to be disclosed. And so when that posture was assumed, the yet to be disclosed or the reality that had yet to be known was disclosed itself, right? In a reciprocal relational way. Um, so I don't know, this, this, is, this all feels quite uh, muddy, but um, I think if I had to connect it back to what you two were saying, there is something about participating in the unfolding of what could be and that something for me is a love for what has yet to be realized and so it's the pursuit of that the love for what it could be um again even if love is just a neurological synapse that releases a chemical and evokes an emotion even if that's all it is it's that's enough for me to to pursue that potential could be to pursue the the future that's yet to be realized right one that is better uh for more right inclusive of all life um not just human life that's beautiful it's like the evolutionary process loving itself is essentially what the evolutionary process is the evolutionary process continuing its its process and 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 creating emergent properties and transcending and um, you know creating new things new life um, is all out of is all energized by a certain love and it's like the evolutionary process waking up to the fact that it's it's love for itself is what's driving the whole thing yes exactly and it's so beautiful to me that we in our human experience with these brain filters that we have that like in my mind purposely create some level of forgetting of who we truly are and what we are so that these you know false selves are shackled to and around us and they encapsulate us and imprison us and all of it is in the story that I like to tell, like a a grand play where we get to just rediscover that the whole thing is love over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that the infinite nature of nothingness, vastness, call it the cosmic void, you can call it uh, potentiality, like part of what I felt when you were describing all of that is like the love of what's yet to be like things only emerge out of that space that like want to manifest as love in some sort of physical way. Mm -hmm. And if we can see them all as love and celebrate them all as love and allow that to remind us that the same is true with us. Like we are an emergent property in of ourselves, the fact that we exist. Yeah. There were two human beings and regardless of the way they came together or not from uh, 
from sex to petri dish in a lab to anything in between there were, there were donations gifts given from two human beings that on the like simplest level started this spark that we now exist as and so we are that art that love that comes out and then we and then we get to engage with it in an infinite number of ways during this life and that to me is like mind-blowingly magical yeah i was gonna say there's an, just there's just an inherent magic in that mm-hmm. there's just a, there's almost a, there's just an inherent magic in love too like what what actually like the way that love drives us and the way that the the power that love has even if it is just chemical reactions to the brain the power that love has there's a deep deep magic in that i always i always think about how reality that reality just has this inherent magic to it the fact that there's anything at all is inherently magical and we, we can come back to that just inherent uh magic and mystery that feels like it's tapping into something very sacred to me like if like if so the chances that i say things that are wrong uh and about what i'm and about and what i'm about to say is 100 percent. so um there's no people, right wrong people, we're in that people, field beyond it people can you know feel free to, to like correct me but um dark matter is from what i understand like the key to understanding gravity and so like scientists and physicists know that there's this thing that exists but they can't actually it's very very hard to measure from what i understand um and i think it's only been recent like in the last 10 years that we've actually been able to measure it in one way or another Mm-hmm. Um, by blasting particles through some sort of vacuum, I think. I don't remember exactly how they did it. but So uh, what I love about that, though, is that the, like, there's this, like, known unknown mm-hmm. that, to your point, Trace, about it just being magic, like, that feels so magical to me, right? And so, like, you could say that the the uh evolutionary trajectory of human consciousness has been one in pursuit of understanding magic in one way or another uh because all magic is is an un is a known unknown to some degree um and then you know there's the question of well is there a limit to our you know human ability to know things or how much where where is the ceiling of knowing for humans um in regard to the mystery and magic of our universe and i'll be honest i hope we hit it like eventually like i you know i think i I, i'm still really fascinated by a lot i think there's still a lot out there to discover and a lot to learn but i i hope that we never know everything like that's a sad world in my mind where we know everything and you know wonder and mystery is lost to some degree right um as a species, if we ever hit that point, like to me, that feels kind of sad. I don't know. Uh, because that magic is such an important part, I think, of life and uh, meaning making and getting out of bed every day to pursue whatever could be, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think you're, you're touching on the, the evolutionary drive. Like if we were to know everything, if everything were to be known, we're losing 
so we're losing like a core element of that evolutionary drive to like continue to strive and know and grow and and like expand ourselves and if it's just everything is known then like almost we lose some of the like well drive it, for i that. mean it, it almost feels to me like many other things like it almost feels to me like an impossibility and you know i don't know who knows but like how little we even know and understand about the human body while at the same time maintaining that we think we know so much and yet we really know so little and every time we discover something it actually shows us how little we know right as opposed to kind of proving to us oh yeah we already knew oh okay this is showing us that we we knew 95 percent of everything and now we know 98 it's actually like there's this weird quirk in the universe where it's like actually the more we we find out the more mm -hmm. we, we the, like exponential more questions emerge right right that's that's totally true i mean even at a really small level God, there was this there was actually a book about this i i skimmed through a couple of years ago like the knowledge myth or something like that i forget what it was called but he uses the example in the book of like do you know how a toilet works or like, can you explain the fluid dynamics of water that actually explains why a toilet can do what it can do? Or like, do you understand the- I've molecular... thought about that many times, actually. Just, <laughs> I don't know the answer, right. but I do appreciate the magic of the fact that right. if for some reason your mechanism, your handle on your toilet isn't working, all you have to do, do you know this? All you have to do is just get like a, a you know, I don't know how much, half gallon, gallon bucket of water, dump it into the bowl and down it'll all go like what right like, literally yeah. that's all that's there's, happening there's no yeah. like sucking yeah. yeah it's just dumping right and yet the water sits there <laughs> but as I, I mean you know how it actually works aside because the point is not so much uh that as much as it is like you also have to understand you know the molecular molecular makeup of the actual material or compound that that the toilet bowl is made out of and you know understanding sewage systems and water processing and treatment plants and like that entire cycle right like how many like if if you had to look at the total sum of knowledge required to design and build and operate that entire system how many people would it take to hold all of that knowledge and I think it's a lot of people. Um, yeah. I mean, you ever see like the the YouTube videos of the guy who tries to like make a toaster from scratch and he literally like mines his own ore and tries to like goes from mining his own ore to workable toaster. I mean, it's insane. Like it's and so it's like there's there's a lot of knowledge there. And I think there's there's something interesting about because we know people know that or people, other people know it, we assume that we know it, right? Mm. Uh, I don't, you know, no one person knows how to design and build a computer from scratch. Very, if very few people could probably do that, you know, um, or knows, you know, how to source all of the parts globally that uh, a modern day Apple MacBook Pro requires to be built, right? How to source and manufacture all those parts. Um, it requires a lot of people. So I, maybe to your point, what I'm getting at is that maybe there, 
is no ceiling of knowing because the nature of knowledge itself transcends an individual knowing individual knowing an individual's capacity for knowing um and so maybe that means there will be a perpetual uh gap or opportunity for learning and exploration as individuals regardless of where we go in particular domains of expertise like quantum physics for example you know taking it back into a very much less magical and exciting direction but actually deeply magical and exciting to me is the fact that what you just said feels very true to me and therefore is like it pretty much takes the concept of boredom and proves it as your own personal creative problem oh boredom is essential absolutely essential and that's part of the problem of our society right now is we're so distracted and no one's bored yeah. that's why we're so dumb <laughs> we need more boredom right well because it's like you could sit there in this space I guess I should I should back up and say boredom for any like extended period of time where you're going and complaining to others that you're bored like sitting there not knowing what you want to do next or not not knowing not feeling like there is anything to know right like it optimally without addiction to screens and all this so we'll just kind of put that to the side it doesn't actually take that long if you're not actively trying to meditate to sit there not have anything to do and then all of a sudden start having creative questions and inspiration come in Mm -hmm. because it's everywhere like you start talking about toilets i get excited about whole systems mm -hmm. and you're pointing to you know what it takes to clean the water and get it like all the, there are so many components that we can dive down continuous everlasting rabbit holes around dive down toilets and knowledge <laughs> wash ourselves down it's fascinating to me because so many of the things to your point so many of the things that we have we use we rely on today are technologies that have been built upon understandings of the way that physics and gravity and all these various things work like i think about the roman aqueducts and how fascinated i was when i was visiting France and and was learning about this huge aqueduct and the fact that the water that would pass through it would head into town and it would first get filled up into large like stone holding tanks basically and there would be holes at different levels and the bottom holes were to like main public things like me being able to go take a, a bucket, fill it up with water and use it in my house. If I didn't have running water in my house, that was the first thing that got filled up was like the main public faucets, for example. And then it wasn't until layer two, three, four, five, however high it got, that was like, oh, and this is where like royalties own plumbing would then be filled. 
And so this whole thing, there would have to be enough overall water for everybody that this thing got filled up high enough that then those holes would start taking water out to like the yeah. aristocrats' yeah. personal taps, right? And so there was this whole like socialistic structure of everyone needs like, first they're able to harness water, what? And then they're able to say, okay, everybody should get access. And then once everyone has access, if that's filled up enough, then elites can have their own personal access and oh, by the way, we figured out how to build toilets and all these other things like that. To me, that's all freaking crazy that that was going on a couple thousand years ago. It's so cool. It's so cool. It always, right, those conversations bringing me back to this like thing that I've had ever since I've been a kid. I had this like childlike visceral feeling of how cool it is that reality exists and that like I'm in reality i'm part of reality like you just hearing you talk about these facts just like thinking about history and thinking about the future and thinking about evolution and thinking about toilets it's like the there's just a simple like simple fact of the fact that reality is here reality is real there's all this stuff going on and i'm like here part of reality like there is something so kind of uh there's like this childlike joy that gets mm. kind of almost like that, that I get filled up with and just feeling into that, just coming back to that. It's like a very like simple truth. It's almost like I can't even really articulate it super clearly, but just the fact that like stuff is here, reality is here and I'm- And so are you. And so are you. Like, so I'm, I am reality. I'm part of reality because yeah. it's here and this is me. And just that energy right there, like really like fills me up. And I just, that just hit me as you were talking and, and sharing like, that. Sharing that fact hit the world however millions of years ago and knocked out a major land predator which gave way to uh mammalian you know mammals as as animals growing in size and number and diversity which gave way to our ancestors right so like there's like a very interesting connection between this this extinction event that leads to our consciousness in, in a weird way um which i think leads me to like there's i was about this earlier when we're talking about meaning and love and five billion years from now the sun is going to be so hot it's going to boil and evaporate all of the water on earth like life will cease to exist here right five billion years there will be a point in the future in which like the universe like burns out like again I don't you know don't ask me about the details or the physics but when you when you stop to contemplate that and then you ask like so does anything really matter like if that's going to be if that's the case you know what I mean like what what future exactly is it that we are uh working towards and I have an answer but before I give it I'm curious if you if you have I want your answer. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to say wait. I'll, I'll, I'll you wanna go? I, I when I go to my like the most like my most like transcendent experiences in which they were like truly like experiences that felt like they transcended kind of like a normal state of consciousness. There was a certain connecting to I don't know, this might sound kind of woo-woo crazy. I'm, I'm just gonna articulate articulate some of my experience. Uh can there's a certain power in connecting with reality on such a deep level that it actually goes beyond 
profundity and meaning. And there was something that there was something that that was so powerful to me in realizing that what reality is is actually inherently beyond meaning and and any and profundity. Um, and that's actually what paradoxically made it so meaningful and profound right, to me. Right. Is that there is something that's there is something that we can connect to, something that we actually are that is so deep that even the concept of meaning actually happens within it. Right. And reality being so profound because it's actually beyond profundity really is something that like really changed my life and really changed the way that I see things. Yep. So, uh, so I'm like, I have a kind of a absurdist view to a certain extent that, um, yeah, nothing really actually does matter. And there actually really isn't any meaning, but that kind of comes full circle and actually makes reality in life meaningful beyond anything yep. I could articulate. Yeah. Yeah, I love that um, paradoxical uh, because you can't even say there's no meaning without meaning. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Even even say there's no meaning requires meaning. So there there is a bit of a innate paradoxical conundrum uh, in all of that. But I love like what what I pictured in my head when you said something deeper big like actually picture like like hands cupped holding this universe and uh i mean we could even get into like multiverse <laughs> that, that like takes it to a whole other level but there's like yeah there is something like what and what could that thing be um i love the idea of like pondering that mystery and pursuing that mystery uh in and of itself like that is it is i mean this is like what wisdom traditions have been doing for millennia right i mean especially in eastern eastern religion where there is a, an emphasis not on the moral quality of of a any given phenomenon but just on the thing itself like just this right now here presence and again, there's there is a paradoxical thing in that, like when you are present, you become more aware of more things, right? Um. Anyways, I don't know if I was driving towards a point with any of that, other than <laughs> I think it's really interesting and fun to think about uh, in regard to like I don't know. I feel like there's a part of me that wants to name it to some degree, like the nameless name. Um. I don't know, maybe we might have to come back to that later. Like that thing, the thing that holds all things that is. Yeah, that'd be a good, that'd be a good uh, future episode. Yeah. I would love to do something around that. There's yeah. something, yeah, there's something is about the fact that none of this actually matters and it doesn't mean anything that actually makes me want to throw myself into life even deeper. Right. And actually, like, right. there, there, you can't even, you can't even capture the power and beauty by even concepts of meaning. Yeah, uh, or something mattering. And, and let me say this too: that that also transcends concepts of God, <laughs> right? It's not we're not trying to name God. It's I think it's actually more than that. Yeah, yeah. Because any anything that we anything any way we would put a label on God, it auto automatically is not um, exactly. it's something in a box that can't be put in a box. Right, right, right. 
to name the DAO is not the DAO or whatever. The, yeah, the, the, the if you can name, if you can, yeah, I, I don't want to butcher the quote, but if you can name the eternal, if you can name yeah. the, if you can name it, it's not the eternal DAO. And there's something that's really powerful in that, that yeah. any name, any label, any description, we're talking about something that goes beyond all that. Um, and it's not anything that can be put in a box. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the impulse for me to name is to know. Mm -hmm. I think that's maybe maybe I don't want to name it. I want to know it, and I use the language of naming. Um, that, so that's a good that's a good reminder for me. I think to uh, to think about what does that relationship look like. There's a there's it's interesting that you just said that because. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to articulate what Trace articulated. And obviously we've had different experiences um, with regard to something that's so much greater than than our typical limited understanding of self. Um, and for me, it it it's become the transcendence and the importance and all of it has become something that birthed feels like in my heart space or in my body or in my, to your point of something that's like outside of understanding or naming or language of simply like, there were times that were so hard and so dark that I didn't want to get out of bed or I couldn't stop crying or my consciousness felt like the size of an ant's consciousness or what I would impose upon. Imagine what an ant's would feel like. Um, it felt so constricted or small or limited that what I noticed is by being with that, instead of going into the distractions that I feel like are abundant around us um what came out of it was a sense that like there's no neighborhood dog walk that I can take that's just a dog walk there's no sitting in my yard that's ever just sitting in my yard now there's no conversation with another human that's just a conversation everything has this unnameable multi-dimensionality color texture flavor feeling of full participation and i can't the only thing i can juxtapose that to to try to describe it even a little bit further is it made me realize to the degree at which i was not fully participating in life for a couple decades before that like that being sensitive in this world, being aware of things, feeling things deeply had all felt so anxiety producing. And for me, I, I distinctly remember it was high school, like felt just totally overwhelmed with anxiety that at some point in time, I like picked up a whole handful of like the classic um, acceptable coping mechanisms you know, whether it's achievement, perfectionism, like striving to be really successful at work, 
uh, achieving physically and, and doing more things or um, aesthetically or whatever those things are, put on all those numbing agents and proceeded into the world for a decade or more under that guise of like, I'll be safe if I've got this like giant suit on. And it, in, in so many ways, it's, it sounds like trite or corny or cliche or something. But really, that was truly my experience. It's just undoing all of that. This kind of goes full circle to where you started, Joel, and just experiencing being present with the experience is all that I could ever ask for and more. And I have no freaking idea on some level why I'm here. And it doesn't matter. And on another level, I could give you a bazillion reasons that I've told myself why I'm here. And I have to be willing to let all of those continue to die and reshow themselves and all that over and over again, because all those things are just kind of like the best placeholders I can put in to kind of make sense of things so that I can operate in the world for some period of time until those things don't work anymore. But it's like present participation is really, I feel like at the end of the day, the like the landing place for me. Present participation, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Present participation. Yeah, I love that. Present participation in the unfolding nature of reality as we understand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to summarize briefly, uh we each are here because there's something about our particular story that has cultivated this emergent uh love or desire for participating or no let me start over that was terrible it wasn't terrible <laughs> <laughs> The, oh. by the way we're not none of this is edited nothing gets edited so it's just we're you know you get the rough cut uh including very uh horribly composed sentences that run on for very long time or maybe reminders yeah. to joel about self-compassion that he's so much more right <laughs> than he gives himself credit for this isn't exactly the easiest thing to summarize by the way i get i get lost in the torrent of words uh flowing through my head sometimes um, it's hard to be a mystic poet there's a yes it is <laughs> but we need more mystic poets um no. theopoetics is a word that i love uh as an alternative to theology anyways um we each have stories those stories have shaped in us a desire to be presently participatory in the evolving emerging world that could be mm. and there's a magic in that that is uh heard in a song the other day this this line in the song the guy said my mama always told me to find a woman who could grow flowers in the darkest parts of me uh, oh my god i fucking love that and so there's something magical 
about seeking opportunities to grow flowers in the darkest parts of our existence and in the world around us. Mm-hmm. And it's that magic that compels us to continue. And it's that magic that is what makes these conversations so fun. Uh, even though I have no idea what I'm talking about most of the time. And um, I know that, you know, we're not asking new questions necessarily, but that doesn't matter. The newness of the question is not what matters in my mind. It's the, it's the engagement with the question that matters. I think questions are like wine. Most of the time, the older they, they are, the better That's they right. Are. These are all old, very old questions. I love that. They're, they're, they're what good vintages too. Not just, you know, um, perfectly structured. Yeah. Okay. We won't, I'll stop with the one. Um, <laughs> which, Ooh, we should talk about the magic of wine sometime. That's another. That's, that's another. Oh, I love it. That's another. I forget what the one we said earlier was a next, but that's another next. The so, ultimate nature of reality. Do you take these notes? Yeah, yeah, Trace is really good at having notes. So we're uh, we're three or four episodes in now, and Trace. Um, Trace, we are Trace episodes in, with Trace, and Tina and Joel. Uh, I do have a T name, but we'll save that story for another time. For those who have listened to all three episodes, please, like, I'd love to know what you're thinking. And like, what do these conversations spark and trigger? And um, are any seeds being planted uh, in any meaningful ways? Um, and what questions do you guys have for us? Like, what what do you want us to like muse on? Because <laughs> yeah, what should we muse on? What should we do? Where should we go with this conversation? I mean, we I've really enjoyed just you know um, hanging out uh, and talking. But um, go to brontidepodcast.com and there is a contact form, and you can throw your your thoughts in there. Brontidepodcast.com, and we will. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll see what happens. It's this is a fun journey to be on.